Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On today's show, I'll be joined by Virginia's Sam Hauser, a transfer from Marquette who sat out last season at Virginia. He checked in last week at number 14 in our top 20 returning players. Marcus Zegarowski of Creighton, who is in our top 10 from the 10 to 6 grouping in that top 20 countdown. And former Alabama and NBA head coach Avery Johnson, who was a star in the 1980s at Southern University in Louisiana, as we continue to shine the necessary light on the HBCUs. But before we get to our interviews, let's address where we are in college basketball. NCAA Senior Vice President Dan Gavitt announced on Monday that by mid-September, there will be more clarity on when or if the college basketball season will start on time. There will be a season, trust me. The options um, are likely to be the following in mid-September. Keep the season as is on November 10th. Start the season on November 20th before the Thanksgiving break. Start the season after Thanksgiving, somewhere between November 29th to December 1st. It is still way too early to push the season to 2021, which is what the Pac-12 and Ivy League have done independently. The NCAA Men's Basketball Selection Committee addressed this last week on our platforms when Kentucky AD Mitch Barnhart, who is the chair of the committee, and Dan Gavitt both said that the tournament selection won't be equitable this season due to the likely unequal number of games. So it'll be a challenge. It's not going to be unfair. It just may not be equitable as we've seen in the past. So look, there are a number of conversations ongoing about this season by all the stakeholders. And if there are non-conference games, and I'm still hopeful, uh, and, and let's just say that they aren't in the traditional sense as they've been scheduled, what you could see are some tournaments pooled together to create mini bubbles for a week. And we're seeing this in the WTA in women's tennis. They've had success in Palermo, Italy, Prague, and Lexington, Kentucky. The players go from hotel to the court and back. In these tournaments, the players could go from the hotel to the site and back for a week, get a number of round-robin games or in a tournament format. Of course, the testing cost will be an issue, depending on where we are as a country in the pandemic, by November or December. ESPN Events could combine its events at one site in a pool format, and we may see third-party organizers do the same. You could see the Big Ten ACC Challenge all get together, multiple games maybe out of the Champions Classic. There's some chatter about Gonzaga replacing UCLA in the CBS Classic that also has Ohio State and North Carolina and Kentucky. So there's a lot of things that are being discussed. Now for conference games, whether that's in December or throughout January and February, the two likely scenarios are to keep everything as is and trust that each other within the conference is upholding the same protocols on testing. A plan B would be to pool teams at one site and get a number of games, let's say during a long weekend. And in the Pac-12 with travel partners, it's kind of easy. And they're discussing this. 
You could have UCLA and USC go to Oregon, say Eugene, with Oregon and Oregon State, uh, all at one site, and they'd play all four games during that time period. Not home and road, just all four games in a semi-neutral site. Probably no fans. The bottom line is this, though. The NCAA basketball community is working on a number of contingency plans. They will not be caught flat-footed. The NCAA tournament isn't the issue, as NCAA President Mark Emmert said last week on our NCAA social series, that bubbling a championship is doable if we need to do that in the spring of 2021. Getting the regular season done is the question, and there is a lot of work being done on that. We shall know more in mid-September. Now on to our interviews. Here is Sam Hauser. Sam, it has been a long time since you have played, uh, sitting out last season at Virginia, uh, which I would say probably is probably one of the best places to sit out because you got to learn a lot under Tony Bennett's system. How did you learn that system quickly enough to where you feel now comfortable playing for Tony Bennett? Yeah, I think the whole year off... Uh, was really, really good for me. I think it was the right decision on my part to just take the retro year, get better, learn the system, get to know my teammates and coaches and have them get to know me as well. So, but um, it was good for me to learn because now I can step in and I can contribute and try to contribute right away. And I kind of know what I'm doing. Obviously these reps in the summer and preseason are going to help as well, just to get more feel for it and get more comfortable in it. But I'm really excited to get this season rolling, I'm praying that it happens. Yeah, we all hope, uh, and we're going to assume that at some point it's going to happen. You know, if it starts on time, we'll wait and see, but there will be a 2021 season in some form or fashion. There will be a tournament. Um, the culture of winning, and you came from obviously a very successful program in Marquette, you, Marcus Howard, uh, your brother, obviously under uh, Coach Wojciechowski, you guys had had success. But what have you noticed that's maybe a little bit different at Virginia? I mean, they won a national championship and they've won multiple ACC titles over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I just think there's just a different type of standard at a program like Virginia. I mean, they've been there and they've done that. They've achieved all the accolades that you could ask for as a, as a college basketball player. So coming into this program, they expect a lot out of you. And like I said, there's a standard of winning championships and um doing whatever it takes to get there and doing little details every single day, day in and day out. So um, I'd say the biggest thing I've noticed is just that, that standard that Coach Bennett holds you to every, every single day. So, Sam, I've got you as one of our top 20 returning players uh, coming into college basketball. Some people may have forgot how good you were two seasons ago. Um, last season, Virginia did struggle a little offensively. And, you know, that could be a problem or was a problem for them, you know, wouldn't necessarily or shouldn't be a problem next season. How are you going to help that? I'm just going to try to do what I do best. Um, let's make the right play on offense and defense, play hard. You know, I shoot the ball really well, so I'm going to use that to my advantage. You know, we struggled shooting a lot last year, but I think now that these guys have another year under their belt, um, I feel like they're going to be more comfortable on the floor and. I think the confidence level is going to rise. So I think we're going to have a really good year on that side of the court. You know, so often, and I mentioned this at the beginning, players want to play right away when they transfer. They look for that waiver. And we may see that the following year. Uh, for you and your brother, I know you weren't with them at Michigan State, but in what ways do you think you both became better basketball players sitting out? I think, I mean, for our situation, it was good. I mean, we both had major surgeries 
and we had to miss like off season reps for a year. So I think this registered season and this off season has been good for us to make up for that lost time and really work on our craft, really dedicate ourselves to our game. So I know when we were home during the quarantine, me and him really went hard every single day. You know, we were going at it, trying to get better, trying to get each other better by playing one-on-one and stuff like that. So it was really beneficial for us to just stick to the grind, work on our game and get better. Yeah, I mean, you guys were in a pretty unique situation and so many players that I talked to in those early weeks and months in mid to late March and April, they had no place to play or they had no play, no one to play against. Um, how beneficial was that for each one of you to have, you know, almost an equal to go at it with each other and a place to play? Yeah, we like you said, we had a unique situation, you know, two high level basketball players in the same household is um, uncommon. So it was really good. You know, we got back to the old days by getting out in the driveway, getting shots up, playing one-on-one. So it was really fun and uh, really beneficial at the same time. All right. So now you're a part and you've been a part before. What's it going to be like now though, after, you know, having that chance to play with them at Marquette now, uh, obviously both of you go in your separate ways. <laughs> it'll be different, but I think it'll be cool. I mean, going into the decision, we thought we were going to go together. We ended up at different places, which is cool. I mean, it just, we felt that these schools fit our individual needs better. But I mean, I last year I watched a lot of Michigan State games. He watched a lot of Virginia games. I'm going to do the same thing. I'll be cheering for him, hoping he does the best. Um, if we end up meeting and playing each other, it'd be great. But uh, obviously, I hope we get on the better end of that. But uh, I'm just really excited to see him play again. All right. So, Sam, uh, since you've been back, you know, out of the, the stay at home, the quarantine, uh, what's life been like, um, you know, in these kind of workouts where there's a lot of protocols, a lot of restrictions, uh, but at least you're on the court, a, a, you know, not a driveway, but a real court. It's really nice to just be in a gym, honestly, being able to work out with your teammates and really get to know the new guys, build some chemistry because there was a lot of lost time there. I mean, obviously, summer workouts were kind of cut in half. So. Um, it's been really good to get back in the gym. Obviously, the protocols, we have to wear a mask when we're working out in Virginia. So that's been a, um, a thing to, that we've really had to adjust to. It's just kind of weird having to wear a mask and playing basketball. So other than that, though, it's been good. You know, we're um, starting from the ground up, really working on the basic fundamentals and working our way up. So I, I'm really excited to see what this group has. So that's interesting, Sam. So most of these other teams, they wear the mask to the court. And the coaches or managers are wearing masks and gloves. Are you saying that you actually are wearing a mask while you're playing right now? Yeah, we have gaiters, the the things that go around your neck and you kind of pull them up. Uh, we, yeah, we have to wear those during the workout. That's just uh, the Virginia protocols, um, just a safety measure that we have to take. And it's, it's been working really well. Um, so can't really complain. Just got to do what you're told right now. All right. Well, that's obviously something you have to get used to and have so far. The one other aspect, Sam, that uh, you know, this, at the same time, all of this is going on, um, college athletes, everyone has been dealing with a new normal, um, and in a good way, uh, the awakening of injustices and, you know, Charlottesville is certainly no stranger. You weren't there then obviously a couple of years ago, but, um, Charlottesville is no stranger to that. What has that been like in terms of these raw conversations with your teammates, uh, as you guys have been really sort of empowered to speak out regardless of your race or ethnicity. Yeah. I mean, obviously this is a, a time in the world. It's just, it's, it's not great. Um, I mean, you know, with COVID um, 
Black Lives Matter, all that. I mean, we had a Zoom call when we were in quarantine and everyone on our team was able to speak up about the situation. We were all on the same side. You know, we support one another no matter what. And um, I think it was just really good for all of us to hear that, you know, even you know, you're white or black, everyone has your back no matter who you are. So, um, but obviously with our platform, some guys have really spoken out and taken advantage of it and use it in a positive way to really, you know, just trying to raise awareness to the situation and hopefully good comes out of it. Obviously there's a lot more work to do. So we just got to keep staying vocal and stay with it and hoping things change. And, and lastly, on that note, as a senior at a new school, even though this will be your second year on campus, um, how much responsibility do you feel as one of those leaders at Virginia and in college basketball? Yeah. I mean, I think in my situation, I, I just have to learn more about, you know, the history of this whole situation and, and really know what to say if I'm going to protest and, you know, speak up about it. So I've been learning from the guys on our team about, you know, the history and stuff and kind of following their lead a little bit. Um, because I, I don't, I don't know about some of these struggles that they've been through and their families have been through. So it's a learning process for me, but I'm behind them hundred percent and I will step in and say something if they want me to, or if they need someone to back them up for sure. And one last thing, I'm sorry, Sam, the, the, the leadership also COVID related. Um, we're not worried about what will happen when you guys are practicing or playing. It's much more those other hours of the day. How important is it for your teammates to all buy in really everyone in the athletic department uh, that this is going to be a different fall and winter that you can't be partying and things like that, because that's where we're seeing any of these outbreaks. They're coming from when athletes are out and about, not on the field of play. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, you just, you really have to be smart about it. And obviously being a fifth year guy and um, being seen as a leader on this team with a couple others. So we really have to set the tone and, make sure these guys are doing the right things. You know, it's all right if we hang out with each other, but if you're going to go somewhere, make sure you wear, wear a mask, especially if it's a grocery store or you're going to pick up some food, but stay away from the temptations of partying right now. Cause it's really not worth it if you want to have a season. So just be smart and use common sense. Really. That's kind of what we've been preaching here. And I think that speaks measures to the rest of the student athlete body. Well, Sam, we appreciate it. Can't wait to see you back on the court one of our top 20 returning players in college basketball. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, let's continue our countdown here on March Madness. March Madness 365, the top returning players, numbers 10 to 6. Let's start at number 10. Big block by Coburn. Milan are feeling themselves now. Kofi Coburn. From Illinois, the big man returning for his sophomore season, withdrawing from the NBA draft, averaged 13 points, eight boards. Uh, certainly could be a little bit of a better free throw shooter shot, 67% from the line. I do expect his minutes to increase, averaged about 27 minutes a game last season. That could be into the 30s next season. Uh, we've seen this in the Big Ten. Freshman to sophomore for the bigs. Just look at Maryland. Back-to-back -back years, Bruno Fernando, Jalen Sticks-Smith, the improvement we saw from freshman to sophomore year, fully expect that from the Big Ten Freshman of the Year, Kofi Coburn. At number nine. So far, no foul. Baker for three. And the lead, he hit! Baker! The shot maker! Geo Baker from Rutgers. The senior guard averaged 10 points, almost 11, 3.5 assists per game. 
Uh, Three-point shooting was a little shaky, but not in terms of timely three-point shooting. Geo Baker was money when the games were on the line for the Scarlet Knights, a tremendous leader. Should have led Rutgers to the NCAA tournament last season, first time since 91. He will this season. Checks in at number nine on our list. At number eight. Nothing but calm in his eyes. He'll rise up with five on the clock, and he buries a three. Welcome back, McKinley Wright. Let's go out west to the Pac-12. McKinley Wright, the fourth. Been following this player right from the beginning of his freshman year. The senior guard, 14 points, 5.7 boards, five assists, three turnovers. Could get those numbers a little bit down this upcoming season and could become a little bit of a better three-point shooter, but he's an outstanding leader for the Buffaloes, and they have another good shot to get back to the NCAA tournament. At number seven. And a steal by Colin Gillespie. Drives to the basket. Up and in. Colin Gillespie from Villanova. Such a great leader, money player, not just how he is offensively, and he was solid at 15 points, four and a half assists, only 1.9 turnovers a game, uh, shot over 80% from the free throw line, but he's a great defender. Comes up with key plays multiple times, especially when Jay Wright and the Wildcats need it. Colin Gillespie definitely makes my list here at number seven. And at number six, Zagorowski will take the Marcus Zagorowski from Creighton, the junior guard who had knee surgery, uh, would not have been able to play had Creighton advanced in the Big East tournament or the NCAA tournament, but an outstanding player. He's made himself into one of the best players in the Big East at 16.1 points a game, five assists, 2.6 turnovers, shot 42% on threes, nearly 50% from the field. Outstanding play from Marcus Zigorowski. He is ready to lead the Blue Jays back to the NCAA tournament. So think about that. In this 10 to 6, we've got two players from the Big Ten in Kofi Coburn and Geo Baker, two from the Big East in Colin Gillespie and Marcus Zigorowski. McKinley Wright, the fourth from the Pac 12, breaking up that. But that just shows you the depth of the Big Ten and the Big East for this upcoming season. And when we get to this regular season, when we get to the NCAA tournament, these players will be names to remember because they're going to have an impact, not just on their team and in their conference, but for sure in the season. So we are down to our top five next week, the top five returning players in college basketball. Those are numbers 10 to six. And now joining me here are March Madness, March Madness 365, Creighton's Marcus Zagorowski, and one of our top 20 returning players to college basketball. Uh, some may forget that at the end of last season, Marcus had a knee injury, and had that Creighton run in the Big East been allowed to continue, Marcus wouldn't have been able to participate in the Big East tournament or the NCAA tournament, something we talked about earlier in the offseason. So first off, how are you feeling and where are you in your rehab? Um, I feel great. You know, I'm a, I'm officially 100%. You know, I've been 100 for uh, about two weeks now. So it's been a, it's been good. And I, you know, I feel really good. You know, this is the best I've felt in a long time. You know, I think our staff did a great job of, you know, getting me right. And then, you know, I was seeing some people back home. And so now, you know, I feel really good. I feel strong and I'm ready to get back to work. You know, it's kind of crazy because when I last talked to you, you were heading from Massachusetts to Omaha right at the beginning or early on in the pandemic. Um, and then obviously have ridden that wave of where we are 
uh, with COVID-19. What was that like in that early stage uh, when you're leaving a hot spot in Massachusetts to at the time, you know, in Nebraska, which had not been hit as hard. And, you know, as we've seen now, it's spread across the country in different spots like Massachusetts doing much better than others. But what was that early time like? I was home for the first five, six weeks. And then uh, after that, I went up to Omaha to rehab. And, you know, I was on campus and I was like the only one on campus, you know, just going from my room to the training room back and forth. You know, they quarantined me for two weeks. And so, you know, it was it was pretty low key. It was just put your head down and just rehab and just try and speed up the process of getting my knee back. And then I spent like about two and a half months up there. And then I went home for a little bit. And then I went back up there to finish the last few weeks off. And, you know, it was, it was good. It was definitely a roller coaster with a lot of different things going on. But, you know, I thought we made the best out of it, you know, for my knee and for my future. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy. I think that's one of the things that got lost in all this were, you know, as everyone was getting sent home, there were players like yourself who had surgery and had to rehab. What were the kind of protocols, precautions that had to be taken for when you would be in that training room or with your PT or your docs? So I would leave my dorm room for an hour and a half a day and then go right back to my dorm room. I, I wasn't allowed to go anywhere else. I wasn't allowed to order food and go get it. or I wasn't even allowed to take out the trash. So they watched me too. Like, like there were a couple of times I'm like, okay, if I leave, they're not going to know really, but they were talking to people and they made sure that um, I was staying in the dorm. You know, from a mental health aspect, that's another thing I think got lost a little bit. I mean, what was that like to be, you know, under such restrictive conditions? It was rough. You know, it was definitely, it was definitely hard for me. I was getting tired of it. You know, it was a long two weeks of doing that. You know, um, I remember like, leaving the training room on Friday and then thinking, oh my God, I have to be in my room for two and a half days, you know, not do anything. But, you know, I just kept reminding myself, you know, I, you know, I got to get back. I got to get this knee right. And I got to, you know, th- this is my only option. And like, it was, it was tough to get my surgery right after the season because in New York, you know, that, that's where I got it. So I was just thinking like, I'm really blessed to be able to get the surgery and be able to rehab because I, I, I know a few players who couldn't get the surgery. All right. So with that, you know, obviously having elective surgery at the time, even though it was important, obviously it wasn't life threatening. And you're right. A lot of those surgeries weren't being held Um, from a basketball perspective. You know, what have you been allowed to do? And and you say you're feeling great right now. But, you know, how was that process as as you're getting a little bit more and more being allowed to do things on a basketball court? Good. Being able to first get on the court was really good. You know, obviously I was with our guy and his name is Jeremy. He's really good. He knows what he's doing. People say he's the reason why we were so successful this year because he just made sure all of our bodies felt really good. And you know, I was with him one-on-one the whole time and just going through each step, you know, what I'm allowed to do, you know, you know, we didn't skip any steps, you know, say we would, we would run the court one time. Then the next time we come to the gym, we do it two, twice. You know, it was always like a, a staircase kind of recovery and it was really good. And, you know, we got up to, you know, full speed before I went home and, and that's what I wanted. And, you know, I'm really happy with the whole process. You know, I finished on time and, you know, I feel really good. You know, this is the best I've felt in a long time. What about travel? I'm someone who usually is traveling a ton. I have not been traveling. What was the travel like? It was actually, you know, pretty safe. You know, I'll be honest. You know, I think it's honestly more safe than going to like a grocery store, in my opinion. You know, there wasn't many people in the airport. You know, you could, you, you kind of had your own role and, um, security was pretty empty and just not many people at the airports. So it was good. You know, obviously going back and forth to Omaha and back to Boston was see like long cause there's no direct flights, but you know, it was worth it. And I, I thought it was safe. All right. So last season, before you got hurt, you had a pretty impressive 
Uh, assist to turnover ratio, I think it was like five to two. Uh, I mean, obviously, that's one of the strengths of your game. I've called many of your games. You guys, obviously, offensively, are one of the best teams in the country. Uh, no Tyshawn Alexander. There's going to be a little bit more pressure and responsibility on you, but you've still got a team that should be, you know, a top 10, top 15, top 20 at the very worst type team next season in the Big East. One of the favorites with Villanova. Um, with what you know now about this roster, how will it unfold? I'm going in, you know, with, you know, a lot of confidence. You know, I think we can have a better season than we did last year. You know, obviously losing Tyshawn is a big hit. He was really good on both ends of the floor. But I think a lot of guys will try and, you know, have a bigger role. And there's a lot of points to be um, scored now that Tyshawn is left. So I think guys will start to just have a bigger role on both ends of the floor. And I think, you know, we have a few freshmen that come in that will, you know, definitely, you know, help and, just all, you know, I think we have a lot of a lot of experience. You know, we got a lot of juniors and seniors, and I think that's going to help a lot. And you know, I think we'll be very successful. You know, I think Coach Mack will do a really good job of making sure everything's good and making sure everything is up to speed. All right. So as I said at the top, you're one of our top twenty returning players. Um, how do you explain that that has happened to someone? Uh, you know, at least nationally, maybe wasn't on the tip of everyone's tongue when you came out of high school, and now you know, three years later. Uh, you're one of the best players in the country at your position. You know, it's definitely a blessing. You know, I worked really hard, and obviously I was pretty under-recruited throughout my high school career. And, but I always knew, you know, I was up there. I was, you know, my family always knew. And, you know, I always carried myself as one of the best players, you know, although many people didn't think that. And I kind of like it like that. You know, it's kind of like an underdog story. But now, you know, going into this year, people are going to be coming at me and, and our team. And, so, you know, I've seen both ends of the side of, oh, I'm the underdog and now we're the guys that everyone wants to be. And, you know, obviously I got to learn and just got to, you know, keep your head above water and not get too high, not get too low. And at the end of the day, it's a list and it's a blessing. But, you know, once the ball is, is put in the air, it doesn't really matter once we're between those lines. So I still got to play hard and make sure I put my team in the best position to win. Hey, Marcus, one last thing. You know, we know there's going to be a season. We just don't know when it's going to start. Um, and how it's all going to play out. But I'm very confident it will happen. Uh, we've got time on our side. But if if it's only Big East games leading up to a tournament, um, this league obviously is daunting. You add a school that you're very familiar with in your sort of neighborhood within New England and UConn coming to the Big East. What would that be like if it ends up being, you know, only Big East games just going at it with each other? You know, it's, you know, I'm with whatever. I mean, I just want to play and then I want to have a Big East or an NCAA tournament. You know, I think our coaching staff will do a good job of preparing with whatever is thrown at us. You know, whether we have the non-conference, whether we have just the conference, you know, I think we'll be smart, not go too hard in the first early months. Of, say it's just conference, you know, we won't go too hard in October, November, we'll, we'll lead up. And, you know, I'm confident, you know, with whatever scenario is thrown at us and I trust the NCAA. Hopefully, you know, we just figure something out that everyone follows and I think it's going to work out. Well, Marcus, I appreciate it. And we can't wait to see you back on the court. Stay safe. Thank you. Appreciate it. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, Avery Johnson, former head coach of Alabama, multiple NBA head coach. Um, but for these purposes, uh, Avery, uh, you are, you could argue, one of the top 10 greatest players ever out of an HBCU playing at Southern for Ben Job in the, in the 80s. Um, and so a couple things I want to unpack here uh, with this, and that first, your overall HBCU experience at Southern. We're, 
we're hoping to see, and I think we will see, a little bit of um, a renaissance for the HBCUs. We're now seeing McCurr Maker choosing Howard. Uh, you know, could be a bit of a trailblazer. And they're now, obviously, for good reason, uh, in the news again as a, as a legitimate alternative. Uh, how would you characterize what your experience was like at Southern at an HBCU? Andy, my experience is that Southern was was unbelievable. It was a great environment to learn under a legend in Coach Ben Jove. Um, he had a short stint in the NBA with the Denver Nuggets. So since I aspired to go to the NBA, I, I knew he could give me some tutelage and training on, on what that looks like. But uh, it was unbelievable. We sold out a lot of our games. Um, we played fast. We looked at ourselves as kind of the baby Lakers. So we had a little bit of a showtime type of a of an offensive system. We were always one of the top offensive teams from a points per game uh, uh, vantage point uh, st- uh, stats uh, in the country. Uh, I led the nation in assists two years in a row and still in my 13.3 assists in my senior year in 1988. That average still stands today. So we played fast and furious, a lot of pressing and running up and down the court. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, obviously, funding and national exposure has been two of the things that I think have have kept them behind. Uh, You know, we'll see how things change here in the future. But, you know, certainly in light of what has happened in this country over the last, you know, four months uh, since the murder of George Floyd and and really an awakening of all the social injustice that has occurred in this country for centuries, um, it, it clearly feels like there's a shift. We'll see if it actually translates into higher profile players going there. But what do you anticipate could be a benefit to HBCUs here in the short and maybe long term? Wow, man, that's a, a, a big question to unpack. But here's what I would say, Andy, a couple of things. One, um, the TV money will follow the best players. Uh, you look at LeBron James's high school team with his son, Bronny, on it. You know, how many times were they on TV? Several times. You know, they went and played in China. They went all over the place. They played like a college basketball schedule. And the TV uh, stations followed them. And I think the same thing with the HBCUs. You, you, you get enough really good players going to play at Howard or Alabama State, or Southern University, or Texas Southern. Those guys will be on TV. And if, if kids know that they can play on, on national TV, I, that's going to be a big thing because their social media platforms will increase. Number two, it's all about funding. We saw Jeff Bezos' ex-wife uh, donate millions and millions of dollars to HBCU. So to be able to pivot and not just give your money and donate it to your traditional power five schools, but to have more access to that type of real capital is going to pay big dividends for, for HBCU schools, not only academically, but also athletically. I mean, look, you were a head coach uh, at an SEC power in Alabama. Obviously, you know, your MBA, you can't compare the NBA, but um, when you see the advantages that you had at Alabama versus what our guest from last week, Mo Williams, has at Alabama State, those are two state schools uh, that might as well be in different stratospheres. I mean, how does that gap get closed? Yeah, it's, it, and again, it, it's, it's revenue. You know, and if HBCU schools can generate some more revenues from their home games, 
um, you know, if, if they're able to, you know, get in the spotlight more and more people are seeing them on TV and, you know, they have the, the funds to donate to, to those schools, they help them with their budgets. You know, it's nothing for me when I was at coaching at Alabama uh, to be on a private jet going to three different cities to watch AAU games in one day. Whereas a coach from the HBCU school, he probably can only stay at one place and then he has to drive, you know, six, seven, eight hours to get to the next location or spend all day in the commercial airport trying to get from one place to another. So it's just such a huge gap. You know, the way we travel on the road, the hotels, uh, uh, the, the access to nutrition and nutritionists and strength and conditioning program is it, such a huge gap. And it's going to take those HBCUs to get more exposure. And, and Andy, when as they develop more NBA players, then when those NBA players sign those hundred and two hundred million dollar contracts and they want to give back to their schools, now they're going to start giving back to those HBCU schools, which they can now utilize uh, to, to help in all areas of their athletic program. Yeah, we've seen that countless times from, you know, players from Mello to Durant that have given back to their universities uh, in those practice facilities. You know, right now there's only two in the NBA, Kyle O'Quinn and Robert Covington. Uh, obviously, uh, there's been those before them, yourself, Rick Mahorn, um, you know, Ben Wallace. Uh, I could go down the list. Um, do you anticipate or how, how hopeful are you that there won't be, you know, where I can count them on one or two hands, that we will come a time where it will not be such an anomaly uh, to have NBA players who, who played at these institutions? Yeah, I, I think it's not going to be an anomaly. I think you just take some kids to be bold and, and for it to work, you know, it's going to be, it's got to be a proven that you can go to HBCU Sue and you can still be one and done. Um, I, I think had LeBron James went to Southern university um, or, uh, you know, North Carolina, he's still going to be one and done. Uh, so I just think it's got to be proven. Kids have to have a really great experience. Uh, and I think if you can prove the concept, uh, it, it can work. Um, you know, I, I had a chance to try out for some NBA teams and fortunately made the Seattle Supersonics, but had I went to a Power 5 school, uh, I probably would have gotten drafted in the first round. Now, uh, because of the, the power of television and social media, wherever you go, the NBA will find you, and if you're a first-round draft pick, you're a first-round draft pick, whether you go to Southern University or Duke. And one last thing, Avery, in terms of the coaching, you know, Ben Job, uh, legendary, iconic figure. You know, I think about Fang Mitchell, who I covered for years at Coppin State, another outstanding coach that never got his due. And, you know, obviously money talks and, you know, the salaries are higher at the higher levels, but it does feel like for the coaches – and, you know, I think like Laval Morton at UNC Central, you know, he's been in the tournament multiple times, hard to get out of the MEAC or the SWAC. Uh, how does that change for coaches? Yeah, it's just, I, I think, you know, for the coaches, you can look at, you can look at the lineup of coaches that are now coaching, you know, in, in at HBCU schools, you know, Johnny Jones, uh, who, you know, had a heck of a run at North Texas and, you know, recruited, um, you know, Ben Simmons to, um, 
to LSU is now, you know, at, at TSU. And now you have Mo Williams, um, you know, coaching at Alabama state. And I, I just think, you know, the, the, the roster of coaches that we have now coaching, you know, at, at the HBCU schools is, is making it even more attractive to join those programs. And, and, you know, you, you look at what we're doing at Southern, you know, Sean Woods, who, who did a heck of a job for us last year, you know, at, at, at Southern, you know, he's had experience not only playing at Kentucky and coaching at Mississippi Valley state did a great job there, Moorhead state. And now, now he's, now he's at, at Southern. So I think having those coaches that can be competitive, whether they're coaching in the SWAC or coaching against the power five schools. And those kids have those, that confidence that they have competent coaches that can compete at any level and that those guys have an incredible resume and a track record, I think that's going to make it even more attractive. And for the coaches, the more success that they have, especially winning some of those non-conference by games, uh, that's going to be, that's going to be beneficial to them in terms of improving their salaries so that we can continue to close the gap between power five uh, coaches and, and HBCU coaches. And I will tell you this, that, uh, for those that follow, a lot of these schools in the pre-pandemic era, you know, had to play like 11 straight road games to make budget. And that's almost an impossible situation to have like a, uh, you know, a, a winning non-conference record. I'm hoping in the future that changes uh, because it does put these guys at a bit of a disadvantage, obviously, to be on the road so long. We'll see what happens, you know, in the years to come. But that's also been a, a hard scheduling thing in the non-conference. While they get opportunity, they always got to go on the road and sometimes for the entire non-conference schedule. And you know what, Andy? What we need are two things. One, from the Power 5 schools, if your team get upset in one of those games, you know, we still need the opportunity to play those games. And, um, you know, if TSU or Southern upsets Nebraska – for Nebraska to discontinue playing against the HBC schools because they lost a the game, that's not going to help anybody. And I think also, I think Roy Williams did this, or uh, if I'm not mistaken, where he took, you know, uh, UNC to go play a road game, you know, at an HBCU school. And if he did, great. If he didn't, we need more Power Five schools to step up and take that challenge. Now, I, I took my team on the road. It wasn't to an HBCU school, but it was with Stephen F. Austin hostile environment to play a road game. And people thought I was crazy. And I, I thought I was, too. We, we only won by a point. But we need to give those schools, those HBCU schools, an, an opportunity that if you bring a Power Five school onto their campus, that you're going to sell out. It's going to probably be on TV, and that's going to help those HBCU schools on so many different platforms. That's right. Uh, actually, Notre Dame at Howard, supposedly, uh, assuming these non-conference games happen, that's going to happen at some point next season. So Mike Bray doing it for, for Notre Dame. Avery, as always, uh, I love catching up with you. Um, glad to hear you're doing well. Stay safe, and hopefully we'll talk soon. Okay, thanks, Andy. Thanks again for listening, and as always, a big thanks to our Turner Sports crew, Chad Acock, Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, and Sean Bartley, as well as our entire NCAA.com team. Until next week, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, everyone.